So we are 22 days into this new year, and there are 343 days left in this year. Now, in those, if you already haven't had some difficulty, in the next 343 days, you're going to experience difficulty somewhere. You're going to run into some difficult days or some difficult situations. You might fall into some, some uh, um, just a season even. You might go through days, weeks, months where you're just dealing with difficulty. You know, we can look back in our past and say, you know, there have been times and seasons where I've dealt with difficulty. And so the same is true ahead of us. We understand this. No one has promised a free pass. We're all going to, to, to encounter things that are going to challenge us. So if we know that, then we should prepare ourselves for it. And I just want to challenge you as a church. Things are going to happen this year, and we need to be prepared. That's not a gloom and doom. I'm not forecasting that, you know, whatever is going to take place spiritually in this world. I'm, I'm not even going there. I'm just telling you this. Things are going to happen. Hey, today it's rainy. Probably tomorrow it's going to be sunny. That's just the way it is, right? That's life. So just be ready. Prepare yourself for difficulty. Knowing there will be difficulty should convince us to prepare ourselves for those challenges. And anytime we can draw closer to God, especially through his word, I'll tell you, his, his word is so important when we're going through a, a difficult situation. When, when you sit down or you begin to meditate on his word and think about who God is in your situation, that word comes alive. There's nothing, there's nothing that can cha change that. There's nothing better than understanding, understanding who God is through a trial. Church folks, we go through trials. And we go through trials, and sometimes <clears throat> the trials get the best of us. And as your pastor, I want you to avoid that at all costs, that a trial gets the best of you, because that's not the intention of a trial. A trial is something that God allows for us to go through for a reason, for a purpose. God isn't trying to kill you slowly. That's not his intention. God understands trials are going to occur, and he allows them to take place, not for our detriment, but always for our benefit. So when trials get the best of us, it, it's, as a pastor, it just, it's difficult because you want to do everything you can to help you through those trials. And I'm just saying this, through, God's, or through those trials, God's word is vitally important. If our dedication to God's word isn't what it should be, that lack of dedication will have an impact on our lives. And this next area where I want to challenge you, it will have an impact on your prayer life. If we neglect these two vital, I mean, spiritual disciplines, vital to your spiritual growth and health, uh, dedication to God through his word and prayer, if you neglect those, you're going to have some, some rough days ahead of you. In fact, you're going to go through some trials, and most likely those trials are going to get the best of you. If we neglect these two important spiritual disciplines, again, studying God's word, reading it, meditating, our, our devotional life, our, our prayer time, if we compromise those, if we neglect those, our, our, our walk with God, our relationship with God is going to seem shallow. It's going to be inconsistent. I'm just going to be really frank with you. It's going to be very religious. It's just going to be external. And I don't know about you, religion just doesn't do it for me. Just going through the motions doesn't do it for me. If we're just going through the motions, why are we going through the motions? We should desire and to seek after God. Because it just gets frustrated. It just gets frustrating when, when you go through a season at a time and it's just dry. It's monotonous. But there are some reasons for that, and that's what we have to recognize. When a church isn't dedicate, dedicated to God's word or through prayer, it, it, only, it not only has an effect upon you, it has an effect upon the church. 
It not only has an effect on the church, it has an effect on our community. It has an effect on your family. It has a ripple effect. And when I look at our nation, I, I believe truly with all my heart, this has nothing to do with who's in the White House. I, it has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with the spiritual condition of our nation. And it has little to do with policies. And you can look at all these different places. You can go on liberal policies and all this. Let's, and I understand there are things we could do that could help facilitate bad behavior. But this isn't a political problem. You can have all the policies, all the great policies that's never going to change the human heart. What we have in our nation is a spiritual problem. And anytime you watch the news and, and something happens and you're like, what a mess, what, what a mess our country is, I want you to go to the mirror and look at yourself. And here's why. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is very specific about this. And read these words. If my people, not the world, if my people who are called by my name will do what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Look at this. If we do that, then God will do this. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. The next time you look at this world, you think, all right, our world is just going to hell. Look in the mirror because we bear a responsibility as the body of Christ. If we will humble ourselves, if we will pray and seek God's face, if we will repent, meaning we're going to turn from our flesh and turn towards God. If we will do this, God in turn will do this. He will hear our prayers, he will forgive our sin, and he will heal our nation. So if we want God to pour out his spirit on our nation, and hopefully you do, because again, political changes take place, and that's fine, but it's never going to change the human heart. You can't mandate, you can't legislate uh, morality. It's impossible. Prohibition in the Christian mindset is a great idea. It's a, it was a great idea, but it didn't work. You can't legislate morality. People have to have an encounter with God. People have to have a, an encounter with the living God that changes them. What role do we play in that? Well, we play a huge role. We are called to be a city on a hill. We're, we're called to be light and darkness. But if we'll draw closer to God, he will draw closer to us. It's up to us to make that first move. See, when a church becomes prayerless, the church will become complacent. If the church becomes complacent, it will become compromised. And if the church becomes compromised, it is powerless to resist darkness. In fact, what we'll do is we'll just go to the church, we'll have church, but we'll never be the church. And that's exactly what's taking place in our nation. Is the church impacting the world? That's the real question because that's what God's called us to do. Believe it or not, God did not call us to come here and just have church. That's, that's not the center focus of Christianity. We are called to have an impact in this world. We are called to be light and darkness. So I'm challenging you as a church to dedicate yourself to God's word first and foremost, but secondly, consistently seek after God's face. There's some factors, though, that can really hinder our prayer lives. I'm just going to back to this. If, if your relationship with God through his word is shaky, and if your prayer life is a little shaky, guess what? Your relationship with God is probably not where it should be. 
no one can come here and lay hands on you and make you more spiritual than what you are. You know, no one can lay hands on you and impart spiritual fruit into your lives. They, they can't make you more godly. It comes to down to this, your hunger and your desire for God. So there are some factors that we have to consider that will hinder our prayer life. And this is why some of you don't pray. Here are just a couple of reasons why we find it difficult to pray, to dedicate ourselves to prayer. And if our prayer life doesn't seem to work, if it's not effective, then we'll shy away from prayer. Let's just be honest. If, if, why put in the time and the effort into prayer if it doesn't work? I mean, it might work for you and it might work for this person, but it doesn't work for me. Most of us, let's just be honest, just give up. We don't pray. We don't pray as we should. How about that? So today I want to speak to you about effective prayer. And this is what James says about prayer in James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray is the answer. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. goes on to verse 16. Confess your trespasses. This is all in the same context. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So if you're suffering, what should we do? Pray. Now that word suffering, I just did a little word study. I want to just kind of look at what it meant. Because when I think of suffering, you know, I think of suffering a little bit differently. So what, what does, what's the intent of that word? And, and I looked at it just in the original language. It means to undergo hardship. It's suffering. To be afflicted is suffering. To endure afflictions is suffering. To suffer or encounter trouble. So we're all going to suffer. We're all going to experience suffering. As much as you try to avoid it, it's unavoidable. So we're going to experience hardships and trials. Therefore, we should pray. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, suffering, conflict, trials, you name it. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We have a 100% chance of suffering. And James says, if we're going to suffer, if we are suffering, then we should pray. And are you experiencing a difficult situation right now? Think about where you're at, what you're dealing with. Are you dealing with suffering just at this moment, right where you're at? Here's the question, are you praying? Because that's the solution. That's, that's part of the solution. Not the, all, all of it, but it's part of the solution. Are you praying? Secondly, is your prayer effective in your difficult situation? Is prayer working for you? If we're experiencing a difficult season, or maybe this, we're just going through an abnormal, abnormal situation. It's very tough. It's, it's trying. We should pray, and then not only that, we should pray for others to pray for us, to pray with us. Now, there's nothing wrong with having someone pray for you, so please humble yourself and ask for prayer. It's important. But with that, there's something that can hinder your prayer life when you enter into this, this agreement that I need you to pray for me. <clears throat> and here's what happens a lot. When you're not praying and you're asked for prayer, sometimes the people who are praying for you are praying, but you're not praying. 
that doesn't work. That prayer won't work. That prayer will be ineffective. And I'm going to show you how. It's, it's pretty easy, but just it doesn't work. <clears throat> See, we can ask others to pray for us, but that doesn't replace our responsibility to pray. Because if you are suffering, then you should pray. Now, here's what we often do, and this is what can hinder our prayers. <clears throat> Sometimes we ask people to pray for us, and this is what we want. Rather than our prayers being answered, we actually want sympathy. Sympathy and effective prayer will collide with each other. See, human nature has this, uh, this desire for sympathy. That desire for sympathy, if we, if we go on to uh, social media, is amplified. If you just take out your phone and... And you can see a lot of things. Just people just begging for sympathy. <clears throat> Some Christians go on social media and they'll look for sympathy under the guise of prayer. People say they need prayer, but many times they just want sympathy. Now, sympathy can't and won't ever resolve suffering. Sympathy can make you feel better. Someone could cheer you up because someone, you feel like someone cares, but it won't solve your suffering. It's powerless to do so. Only God can... God can take care of that suffering, only him. So if you're facing a difficult situation, you feel the need for prayer, then please, by all means, ask someone to pray for you. But at the same time, you have to pray, and you have to pray, pray with the right motivation. Look at James 4.3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. So we can pray amiss, and our prayers will be hindered. Man, look, Pastor, I've been praying, I've been praying, but have you been praying on target? Because that's a key factor. Praying with the right intentions, praying with the right motivations, believe it or not, is more important than praying the right words. It's not so much about the words. We get so worried, well, I got to say the right words and this. God understands your heart first and foremost. Sometimes we don't have the, the we're not, some of it we can get so upset, get so, in such a difficult situation, we don't even have the words to say, just groans and moans and God understands that. God's not standing up and saying, you didn't say the right words. You didn't say the magic words, so I can't, I can't move in that situation. God is more concerned about your heart and your motivation, your intentions. Get so worried about what to say in prayer when we should be more concerned about the motivation of our heart. A person can have a, a genuine need and need others to pray for them, but that prayer can be hindered by the motivation of that person's heart. And this is why I'm, I'm, just, I'm praying, but it's just not working. I'm, I'm going through these motions. I'm trying to pray, but it's just not working. Please, go back to square one. Look at your heart. If you're going through something and need prayer again, but you're looking for sympathy, your prayers are going to be hindered. And it happens frequently. We, we seek the sympathy of man more than the face of God. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong. If, if you're a person who is sympathetic, please don't stop that. Have compassion for people. Um, don't feel guilty if, if you know, like, I'm showing sympathy for this person. That, that's not on you. It's on the person receiving the sympathy. So please don't ever stop being sympathetic. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm asking is this. The person who receives sympathy must be very careful not to confuse sympathy for the solution of their suffering. Sympathy may appease us emotionally, but sympathy, again, is powerless to counter suffering. Look at James 5.13 again. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So are you suffering? Are you afflicted? Are you struggling? And if so, are you praying? Prayer is so central and key 
to suffering. Remember, God is your source. Prayer is what puts us into contact with our source. And only God has the ability to meet our needs in times of suffering. The psalmist reaffirms this in Psalms 146.3. Look at this. Don't look to men for help. Their greatest leaders fail. For every man must die. His breath, his breathing stops, life ends, and in a moment all he planned for himself is ended. But happy is the man whose God of, who has the God of Jacob and his helper whose hope is in the Lord his God. See, God is infinite in his wisdom. God is endless in his resources, and God has unlimited power. So whenever you are in suffering and you are in need, that God has the, source for, the resources for you. Man is incapable, falls short, we're finite, but God is infinite. So why would we ever value the sympathy of man over, the, over Almighty God? And I know it makes no sense, especially when you hear it in this, this kind of forum, but you know what? Human behavior rarely makes sense, does it? Especially in light of God's Word. <clears throat> All of us have a sin nature. And our sin nature, it enjoys sympathy. And we got to resist that desire because it can put our motivations in the wrong place. Again, what will happen is we'll enjoy sympathy and we'll crave the sympathy of man and we'll forget to seek the face of God. And then we wonder, what's going on? Why, why, is, not, why is God not breaking through in my situation? Why do I feel like God is silent? It's because we ask amiss. I believe in the power of intercessory prayer. Listen to what Paul writes in uh, Ephesians 6.18. Pray it always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So we should pray one for another. Even in our, in our text, James you know, encourages us to pray for one another. So we can find examples of intercessory prayer throughout the Bible. Go, go think about the story of, of uh, Abraham interceding for Lot. It's a great story of intercession. <clears throat> you can find those examples, and you can also find examples of this in Scripture that calls us to pray for one another. We should pray for each other because there is power in agreement. However, those efforts can be sidetracked if we won't pray. If we just want everyone to pray for us, but we aren't willing to labor in prayer ourselves. You know, there are some situations, I've seen this happen, where, where people, people genuinely love you and, and they, they want to see God move in your life and they'll go to war for you. They will, they will get on their knees and they will pray for you. They will intercede for you. And I've seen this happen. People praying for people, but that person not pray themselves. An entire church could be praying for a person, but those prayers can go hindered if that person isn't praying. If you're currently dealing with a, a difficult situation, are you praying? Are you praying with faith? Do you have that confident expectancy? Are you, are you praying with some fervency? Are you, are you praying with diligence? Are you praying, most importantly, in agreement with God's Word? And sadly, in, in most cases, it's no. We're asking a miss. We're not seeing results we want, so we get frustrated. We just stop praying. But it won't be so pray, frustrating if we will pray and seek God's face. And seek him, listen church, seek him until you find him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and look at this, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not casually or when it's convenient or just on church on Sunday, but a diligence, and they're seeking after God. 
Listen to what James or Jesus says about prayer in, in Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. And here's their motivation, that they may be seen by men. I say to you, they have their reward. What, what is he saying? People who are looking for sympathy. They have their reward. There's nothing wrong with praying in public. Jesus isn't condemning public prayer. There's nothing wrong with someone hears you pray or sees you pray. You go out to a restaurant and you pray. There, there's nothing wrong with it. There's no, they're not devaluing that. It's simply this. What's the motivation of your heart? Are you praying because you're grateful to God and you don't care where you're at? You're just asking God to bless your meal. There's nothing wrong with that. You should. But if you sit down to the table and you kind of look around, I want everyone to look at me while I pray. I hope someone sees me. It's the wrong intention. Do you see how easy it is? I mean, we can even do this. <clears throat> I want people to see me pray because then they'll know I'm a Christian, and that'll be a witness to them. There, there becomes a fine line. You have to be very careful. See, Jesus is addressing the need to be seen and heard by people. So guard your heart, church. Guard your heart. Don't allow a hint of this into your life. See, again, once we entertain this, our hope is in man. It's a, again, it's a slippery slope. We'll crave the attention of man more than we do the presence of God. If you want someone to know you're going through a situation, just tell them. And that's good. But don't do it under the guise of prayer. Will you pray for me? Now, if you want prayer, then pray. Pray with them. Pray in harmony with them. But don't just drop that goose egg on them and say, I, I, life just stinks right now. Will you pray for me? And then you go down the road, you find the next person. Life just stinks. Will you pray for me? And then you go home and watch TV and veg out watching Netflix. That does not compute. That will not work. Prayer will be frustrating. I'm just trying to help you out. And I know this sounds silly, but I think most of you have probably been in this time before, in this experience. And you know this. It doesn't work, and it never will work. Ask people to pray with you and pray yourself with diligence. Jesus goes on to say this in the next verse. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Why is that? Because God understands you are pursuing Him, and you're pursuing Him solely because you need Him, you love Him, and you know this, that He is your only source. Man is not your source. When you ask someone to pray for you, are you wanting them to agree with you in prayer, or again, are you just hoping you'll have someone to sympathize with you? And if that's the case, you're asking amiss. James echoes the same words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, when you pray, the imperative is upon us to pray. Church, when do you pray? There is an expectation contained in that verse. When do you pray? Are you praying then? See, prayer is this. It's a conversation with God. It's not, it's an ongoing dialogue. And it's not, what we do is with prayer, we often handle it as like an occasional monologue. And where we tell God what we want, what we need, and what we expect. And that's the extent of our prayer life. And I'm going to tell you this, you're asking amiss. That prayer won't work. If that's the, if that's the gist, if that's the content the con of your prayer, it's not going to work for you. If you're handling prayer like this, but 911, right? Let's make sure it's not calling. But anyways, if you're handling prayer like a, a 911 phone call, I'm sure your prayer life is very frustrating because that's not 
prayer. That's not, that's not how prayer works. <clears throat> God hears and God cares. Don't, don't think that God doesn't care. He does care. God cares more than you can ever think, but God doesn't care to be a genie from a lamp. You find some lamp on the beach and you brush off and then a genie pops out. Oh, my goodness. God will not allow you to use him like that. I mean, he is God. He's not, he's not someone that beckons at our call. You know, just, that's not the way it works. Our flesh wants a God who's convenient, who will meet our needs. We, we want a God that will save us from our sins and make our life all better. <clears throat> now you say, well, yeah. But you, do you understand how selfish that really is? And that's why salvation doesn't work for a lot of people. Because at the heart of salvation isn't that. The heart of salvation is this, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. There's nothing I can do to save myself. And, I, and I've offended a holy and righteous God. But we, we sell the kingdom of God like this. Give your life to Jesus, forgive your sins, make your life better. That's, that's not the word of God. No, it's this, that I am a sinner and I need a savior. So it's, it's, it's no wonder we get prayer all messed up. Prayer is more about this. Jesus gave us this example, church, in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. Get myself into alignment with what you want because you're Savior and Lord, and I'm, I'm just man. See, we don't treat God that way. We want a God who's convenient, who meets our needs. We want a Savior, but we don't want a Lord. And if you'll read your Bible, you'll understand that Jesus is referred more to as Lord than Savior. The theme of our prayer should be, not my will, but yours be done. See, we ask amiss. We ask we, we have a lot of volume sometimes of words. We have many words. But we can have so many words, we still ask amiss. Prayer is not found in the amount of words that you have. You know, there, there are times, I'm sure, there are a lot of you like this, that with your spouse, you can have a lot of words and a lot of content, and there's nothing wrong with that. And you can have times where you have very little content or volume of words and just as meaningful. See, God wants, maybe this happens. I, you know, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm bombarded to heaven. I'm just, I'm praying, I'm seeking God. I'm asking for this, I'm asking for that, I'm asking for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe God's not active in your prayer life because you won't shut up. Have you thought about that? That you don't stop to listen? You don't stop to give him an opportunity to speak to you? So do we want God to know God or do we just want God to know what we're going through? When is the last time you had a meaningful conversation with God? When is the last time you spoke to God and he spoke to you? <clears throat> and I'm not talking about audible voice. I mean, that can happen. I'm not discounting that. But honestly, church, for the most part, when we pray, we should hear from God. And you should expect to hear from God. And that's not Christian mumbo-jumbo. I mean, at least this, that when you're praying, the word of God comes alive in you because God is speaking to you through that way. When's the last time you prayed and you know God answered you? God spoke to you. Most of you, most of us, let's just be honest. We're speaking at God. We're not speaking with God. And that's why prayer seems so lifeless and dull. Let's go back to James 5.16. <clears throat> Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Focus on that last part. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Prayer should be effective. In other words, prayer should work. 
That's exactly what fervent, effective, it, it works. It has results. Prayer should produce, produce results. If we really want to know God, draw closer to him, that's the key to prayer. Prayer is, is what puts us into contact with us. Give, give you an example. Moses had an effective prayer life. And this is what Exodus 33, 11 says about the relationship between Moses and God. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. I would say that's an effective prayer life, wouldn't you? And I hope that each and every one of us want that in our lives, that we, we want to be able to communicate with God effectively, that we, we at least have the sense and, and that, that when we're talking to God, God is there, he's listening, that we're not just talking at him, but he is speaking to us and we are speaking to him. That's prayer that works. That's prayer that excites you. That's prayer that wants you to pray. You're like, man, I need to pray. I want to pray. God spoke to me yesterday. I want him to speak to me today. So we should want to pray with results. We should pray wanting to know God better. So what, many people want to know, again, what God could just do for them. And we miss, we miss it all. God is concerned about it. But first and foremost, God wants a relationship with you and I. And communication to any relationship is key. If, if you have poor communication in any marriage, you're going to have a poor marriage. There's a word in James 5.16 I want us to focus on, though. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. That word righteous is very important. The Bible doesn't say the fervent, effectual prayer of every Christian. The fervent, effectual prayer of any person. No. Sometimes our prayers go unanswered because our hearts aren't in right standing with God. So <clears throat> if you're involved in an, ad an adulterous affair, are you in right standing with God? It's not a trick question. It's either yes or no. Are, are you comfortable standing before God? Let's say you, you, you die in the act of, an adul an adul of adultery. Are you, are, you, are you comfortable standing before God in that position? Okay, likewise. If you're full of pride, if you're a prideful person, does that make mean your heart is right with God? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think not. But not in right standing with God. Sin and disobedience will affect your prayer life. There's no doubt about it. And if you've been down this road, you know this for sure. That your prayers will go unanswered. They will just bounce off the wall. You'll feel like, where's God at? When your life, when your heart is not right with God. Prayer is very dull and lifeless. See, we want and need God to move in a situation, but God's silent. God, why are you quiet? You know what I'm going through. God, you know the difficulty. You know the suffering. God isn't into cat and mouse games, church. This isn't, God's not playing games with you. It's not the old switcheroo or anything like that. He's not trying to trick you. Let's just simplify. It's really easy. If your heart's not in the right place, but you want to pray around it, that ain't going to work. Why is that? Because God loves you. And he's more concerned about your soul than whatever you're going through. So well, what I'm going through is difficult. But if you remain unrepentant, your life is in jeopardy. Your life is more important. Your heart is more important. God is more concerned about your heart, and that's why he stays silent sometimes. We want to talk about other things. God, but God wants to talk about what matters most. God wants to deal with our hearts. We want to deal with stuff. There's a conflict, and there will be silence. Look at this, James 5, 16 again, 15 and 16. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. 
and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. See, some of us are dealing with issues in our lives that are hindering our prayer lives. Anger will hinder your prayer life. If you go into your time of prayer angry, angry with God, angry with someone else, it's going to show up. I mean, you can hide it, but the tone is still there. Unforgiveness will, will hinder your prayer life and your intimacy with God. Bitterness will hinder your prayer life and your intimacy with God. Sin will hinder your prayer life and your intimacy with God. And we come to God with a list of prayers, and man, God, you're silent. Why? Is, there's a reason. And so if that begins to happen in your life, go to square one. Don't, don't look at the church. Don't look at the pastor. Don't look at deacons. Don't look at leaders. Don't look at this. Don't look at, just look in the mirror. Start right there. Because nine ten, times out of ten, that's where the problem is. Ask God if your heart is right. You'll be amazed, amazed what comes out. A lot of times we'll do this. We know that our hearts aren't right. And we ask God, God, is my heart right? And kind of like is this. <clears throat> That's it. That's all you get. Like, really? Are you going to ask me that? You know your heart isn't right. So let's start off again. See, God doesn't play games. That's not who God is. Imagine this. Imagine you're unfaithful to your spouse. This is how we handle prayer. We're dealing with sin in our lives. We're dealing with disobedience, whatever it is. You could be running from God, or maybe God's called you to do something. You're not doing it. It all fits under this umbrella. I mean, if you want God to become silent, when he's called and equipped you to do something, you don't do it. He'll be silent. Because he'll be like, uh, hey, this thing that I called you to do, that I, reason I put you here, we need to talk about that, not this other stuff. So here's the scenario I want you to get. Imagine this. You're unfaithful to your spouse, and instead of resolving the affair, you know, repenting and trying to reconcile and do things right, you take your spouse out to dinner, you buy the, you go to a nice, I mean, you go to Ruth Chris, wherever you want, you go to a nice place to eat, and you give them gifts, you give them something nice, you tell them you love them, and you think that's going to fix everything. In fact, it's going to make someone really mad, and you might wear that steak. See, what we hope is this, we're going to resolve the affair by working around it. If that doesn't work in our human relationship, do you really think that's going to work with God? The answer is no, of course it's not. See, God loves you. He wants to have a meaningful relationship with you. But there has to be some honesty and some truth. The only thing that prevents us from having that, a meaningful relationship with God, a meaningful prayer life, is you. It's you and me. And if you aren't living right, it will have an effect on your prayer life. The heavens will become brass. Jesus gives this example. Here's a great example. The end is in sight. Hang with me. Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. That's not how we, we work with God, though. We want to bring God the gift. God, this is how I serve. This is how I give. This is how I come to church. I do this. I do that. God's like, no, no, that, you're just trying to buy me a steak and some jewelry and tell me that you love me when we got some problems that we need to work through. Let's go back to the problem. But we don't want to go back to the problem because we feel shame, we feel guilt, we feel all. 
Does God want us to serve and give and worship? Well, sure he does. But what's most important is our heart. So if we try to, to bypass that, it doesn't work. Prayer won't work. God will go silent on you, and then you're like, why, why isn't prayer working for me? See, if you honestly and truthfully start out with you, in most situations, you'll reconcile your, your prayerlessness or why, why the heavens just seem brass. Like, why, why are your prayers not going anywhere? One of the reasons why God spoke to Moses so intimately was the condition of Moses' heart. Again, Numbers 12, 3, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Remember, God spoke to Moses like a man speaks to a man face to face. And it had everything to do with the humility of, of, of Moses. Wherever you find great amounts of humility, you'll find great amounts of God's grace. God is attracted to humility. So here, here's what I'm asking you to do. Today, I want you to consider this. When it comes to prayer, there, there's, there's ways we can pray and we can ask amiss. We can ask that we want to be seen or heard by others. That's, that's a way of missing prayer. Uh, we can pray with a, the wrong heart. Um, we can pray, uh, ask people to pray for us if we are, ourselves aren't praying. But I think if you really want to get to a good place and just begin, just if you don't understand where, where it's taking place, why your prayer life doesn't seem to go anywhere, just start with humility and you're standing before God. You can never go wrong back, going back to that place. See, Jesus is our example in this area. And I just want to close with this verse here. So I want you to think about this. Is this your heart before God? Does this describe who you are? Because this is our example. This is who the Holy Spirit is trying to make us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only to his own, his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being the, in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Church, if we come to God in that capacity, in humility, God is going to shower you with grace and mercy. If you feel like, man, I, God is nowhere to, to be found. He's, I'm, I just, my prayers are bounced off. If you will approach God this way, you humble yourself. You're going to find grace you're going to find an open heaven. So do you have a humble heart? If not, pride might be the source of the silence that you're experiencing. 